And as long as you don't give up, the Almighty will not give up. He will not give up. He will carry you. He will push you. He will encourage you. And it's so important for us to keep our eyes on Him because no matter how overwhelming things may be, they're small in His sight. They may be big in our sight. They may be like giants in our sight. But in His sight, they are small. And so let's make sure that we don't allow the things we're dealing with, the things that we're going through, overwhelm us to the point to where we backslide or give in or throw in the towel or want to quit or lay down and play dead or whatever the case may be. We are more than conquerors. And we have to continue to press in until we see our change coming, looking to the hills from whence cometh our help. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Jehovah reasoned concerning the need to share with Abraham what he was about to do to Sodom, where Lot lived, and Gomorrah. Among the reasons was that Abraham was a prophet. He would become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. Abraham lived in the region where Jehovah was about to judge the people, and Abraham had fought to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and return them to their homeland. Jehovah gave Abraham the opportunity to intercede and negotiate on behalf of the people just as he had risked his life and fought to save them. Today's study title is, Abraham Negotiates with Jehovah. Today, we are looking at chapter number 18 in Genesis. And just as a recap, chapter 18 opens as Jehovah appeared unto Abram or him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door, Abram, in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and we identified that him as Jehovah. And we know it was him because when Abraham, when he saw them, Abraham, he ran to meet them. And we made the point that if they were standing by Abraham, he wouldn't have ran to meet them when he saw them. And then he bowed himself toward the ground. And that word indicates that he faced himself. He prostrated himself. He bowed himself, which was a position of worship. The men who were with Jehovah, as we Jump forward to 18 and 16, chapter 18, verse 16. After Jehovah has communicated with Abram, Abraham why he was there, now they are about to go up toward or down, if you would, toward Sodom. In verse 16, it says, And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And so Abraham went with them to bring them on their way. And this is interesting as if they didn't know the way. But the language here, I suspect, is some translation. But nevertheless, the Bible says, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. For whatever reason, Abram went with Jehovah and the men to bring them on their way. And as they traveled, it seems as if 
Jehovah is reasoning within himself or with the men with him, which I suspect he's kind of exposing his thoughts here. And so he's thinking or reasoning about what he is about to do and whether or not he should share what he's about to do with Abraham. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him. Now, father is speaking these things of Abraham and we know because we've read and we look back. But this is something that he can also say concerning us. Maybe not in the intimacy of this particular passage, because he does know us. Now, what he's saying here is that I know Abraham. In other words, Abraham has already shown himself to me. I knew him. I called him. He has honored me. And so he's saying, I don't want to hide what I'm about to do because I know him. And I also know that not only is Abraham going to follow my instructions, keep my commandments, my laws and statutes, but he's going to also teach them. And so he says, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of Jehovah to do justice and judgment that Jehovah may bring upon Abram that which he hath spoken of him. And so I stopped here in my own thinking and possibly because of the things that I know and the things that you know, is that we know more of the story than somebody who is just reading this for the first time, who is not acquainted with what is written. So here, if this is all the information you have about the Bible, there's a lot of things you don't know. But because you do know certain things, there are things that you can read into what is here because of what you know. And I have to remind us from time to time that I'm approaching this in the manner that these things are being revealed to us for the first time, even though from time to time I jump ahead to make a point. And so several lessons or reasons are listed here why Jehovah revealed the need to share with Abraham what he was about to do. And it's in these verses. And so I point them out. One of the reasons is because Abraham should surely become a great and mighty nation. As he mentioned, another, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And then third, I know him says Jehovah. Fourth, he will command his children and his household after him. And the way I read that is, Abraham is going to hold his household and his children responsible. It doesn't mean that they're going to do everything he say. You know as well as I do, it's rare that you'll find a child or everybody in your house that's going to do everything you say. Okay? Fifth, his children and household shall keep the way of Jehovah. Now, his children and his household at the moment But as we continue down this road, we're going to find that there's going to be some deviation among his descendants. 
And then he says he to do justice. So Abraham is going to teach and command and hold his children and his household accountable in the way of Jehovah to do justice and judgment. And this for the reason that Jehovah may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. So he's spoken some things to Abraham as we've already witnessed, as we've come to this point now. And here, I just wanted to point out a few of my own observations as to why I believe Jehovah shared what he was about to do with Abraham. And again, some of it, I'm looking back to what has already been discussed, but I'll also uh, look ahead. Abraham was Jehovah's friend. This is a main reason. You know how we have a tendency to share things with our friends that we don't share with people who are not our friends. And Abram was Jehovah's friend. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 41, 8, But thou, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. Abram's reputation as a friend of Jehovah lives on to this day. James puts it this way, And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed Elohim, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of Elohim. And so we see James can quote Isaiah because Isaiah quoted Jehovah who said to Isaiah, Abraham is my friend. Then Abraham was a prophet. Now we won't see this until a few chapters later, but Abraham, according to Genesis 27, now therefore restore the man as he's, as Jehovah. Now Abraham has his second encounter with Abimelech who do something similar to Sarah as Pharaoh or intent And father intervene again on Abram's behalf. And he says, now, therefore, restore the man, his wife, for he is a prophet. Who calls him a prophet? Jehovah calls him a prophet. And he shall pray for you and thou shall live. And if thou restore her not, know that thou shall surely die. You and all that's yours. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's the kind of stuff you do for your friends. Abram's father says, you know, listen, live, get a man, his wife back. And then he's going to pray for you. Now, think about that. That here, Abimelech got Abram's wife. Now, of course, Abram, kind of for the sake of saving his own life, permitted this as he did with Pharaoh. But father, again, intervenes on Abram's behalf. But in this particular case, he calls him a prophet. And according to Amos, surely Jehovah Elohim will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. And so because Abram is a prophet, because he's a friend, but there's some other things that I want to point out here. Abraham lived in the region where Jehovah was about to judge the people of that region. Now, if there's some calamity. Remember now, we looked Lot, when Abraham separated from Lot, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. When those five kings came down, they took Lot and his family and his household and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and Zoar and Admah, and they took them hostage and captive and was up toward Damascus before Abraham and his armed men caught up with them. So Abraham fought to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Now, here it is again. Abraham has fought. He's delivered the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jehovah is about to come and destroy them <laughs> after all that. And so he's, he's reasoning in his mind because understand, Father know all of this. And so Abraham had fought to save the people of Sodom and Gomorrah and return them to their homeland and to their king. And Jehovah is about to come and destroy these very people. And then Jehovah gave Abraham opportunity to intercede. And so if you look at it, I mean, you think about this, brothers and sisters. There's some things going on in our world today where in politics and decisions are being made and military personnel is being rerouted and relocated and pulled out of certain regions and sent to other regions. And people are feeling as if they're being abandoned Individuals are crying that, hey, folks who fought for us or fought alongside of us are now being abandoned. And this is not the way you treat your allies and you treat your friends. And so there's some deep feelings that go along with the fact that, hey, you went to fight to protect and to guard. And you got Confederates who have fought with you. And now here comes somebody who is going to look like they want to destroy everything that you have fought for or worked for or whatever the case. And so father is taking a position that Abram could have an issue with, or if nothing else say, well, why did I risk my life and the men of my house to save these people? And then you're going to come around and just totally destroy them. And so Father is saying, listen, I'm about to destroy the people you saved. So I want you to know that. And of course, Abraham, because Lot is not in the mix here. And I suspect if I put myself in Abraham's shoes, I would suspect that Abraham is thinking about all that has happened up to this point and the possibility that you're going to destroy everybody? Even the folks I saved. <laughs> and so what happens is that we're going to see Abram starts getting into a negotiation, which I suspect is why he's in a negotiating mode because of the blood, sweat, and tears that have already been shed over these people. Now, remember, we were introduced to Sodom and Gomorrah back in chapter 13. And this is when Abram and, and Lot separated and Lot chose the land that was green and plush. And so in verse 10, chapter 13, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before Jehovah destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So here the writer is writing about Sodom, but he knows what's going to happen to Sodom. And so he injects into chapter 13 what is about to happen in chapter 19, even as the Garden of Jehovah. Now, this image, Sodom and Gomorrah, based on the image here, could be one of those destination vacation places. It's like maybe the Hawaii or the Caribbeans of today. This was a plush green. Moses here is saying that Sodom and Gomorrah was like the Garden of Eden. 
It was like the Garden of Jehovah before Jehovah destroyed it. Like the land of Egypt as thou goest unto Zoar. And what is he saying? There were some beautiful places. Today, people will tell you the most beautiful piece of ground on the planet is the land of Israel. That's what people will tell you. There's no land like the land of Israel. And one thing's for sure, the land was certainly the apple of Jehovah's eye. It was plush land when Canaan had it. It was beautiful land when the Canaanites had it. And Jehovah took the land and gave it to the children of Israel. And of course, with all the war and all the things that have taken over the course of the years, the land lay in ruined and, and wild animals and beasts roamed the area. It was unkept, untaken care of. And, and now it's, it's kind of like being restored to some degree while at the same time being depleted and diminished of its minerals and things of that nature. And then like the land of Egypt, as thou goest unto Zoar, some of the most beautiful land that I have seen in Egypt. You know, I, I went and visited Egypt back in the 90s and the Nile and certain areas of Egypt is just some gorgeous land. Clear water running through certain aspects of it, plush green leaves, palms. It's just some beautiful and probably some of the most beautiful black people I have ever seen in my life. You know, where I'll never forget some of those trips or visits as I was there. And then he says, as you comest unto Zoar. Now we know that here, Sodom, Gomorrah, Zoar, Admar was around the Dead Sea. But there was the Jordan and other tributaries that ran into the Dead Sea. And so it was surrounded by water and plush and green greenery with some beautiful area. Sodom and Gomorrah was so watered, plush and beautiful and was compared to the Garden of Jehovah. However, the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners exceedingly before their captivity and their deliverance. In Genesis 13, 10, again, Lot lifted up his eyes, but in verse 13, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before Jehovah exceedingly. They just wasn't wicked and sinners. They were exceedingly, they were over and beyond wicked and sinners. And this is before Abraham saved them and delivered them. Chapter 18, verse 20. And Jehovah said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous. Now, he's put up with this for some time because, again, they were wicked back in chapter 13. In chapter 18, he's about to do something about it. And what was really interesting is that when Abraham went, of course, he was going after his nephew Lot and his possessions. But then he had compassion for all the people and brought them back. And remember, the king of Sodom came out and told him, you can keep all the stuff. You can keep all the things, but give me the people. Now, this word, this cry here is Zaka or Zaka. Za'at, which is an outcry. And so the people, and I doubt if, if it's the people who are doing the wicked things that are crying out, I suspect that it is the people that the wicked things are being done to because these are cries of distress. 
perpetrators are not typically distressed. It's the people who are being damaged or harmed or the ones in which the perpetrators are preying on. And so he says, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. Now, this indicates that he don't know, but the fact that he's there, he's with Abram, he's in the plain of Mamre with Abram, and they're about to go up. And as we're going to see in the next chapter, there were three men standing beside Jehovah, but only two men, for whatever reason, goes to Sodom. And so he says, I'm going over there, and I'm going to see, and then I will know. And then he says, because if what I'm hearing coming from them is what is actually happening there, then I will know that what I'm hearing is actually going on. Now, this same word, za'aka, which is an outcry or cry of distress, is similar to the word when Abel's blood cried out which suggests to me that there's not only wickedness and evil, but there's also possibly bloodshed. People are being killed. The men departed, but Abram negotiated with Jehovah in real time at the time. So the men, the Bible says, departs, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abram stood yet before Jehovah. Now, last week and week before, there was this idea about people seeing Jehovah. And I'll tell you that Abraham is now standing before Jehovah. The men are gone, and there's a conversation that is going back and forth. And obviously, Abraham knows that Jehovah is there because the writer Moses here says Abraham stands before him. So the men are gone, it is Jehovah and Abraham, and Abraham interceded on behalf of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though Jehovah had informed him that the wickedness and exceedingly sinful activities was going on in that city. Now, I'll tell you something, there is a sense of conviction for praying for the wicked. Now, of course, in this particular case, Abraham now is interceding with the Almighty, even though the Almighty has told him there's a lot of wickedness and evil going on in that city. And Abraham was hopeful that in the midst of wicked and evil, there is some righteous. And that's the kind of hope we should have. You know, I've been to Las Vegas a few times. I've lived in Las Vegas, and Las Vegas has the reputation of being sin city. Sin city is what people call it. And yet, there is as many churches in Las Vegas as there are here in Charlotte, probably even more. There are people who go to church, people who serve in their, in their communities, people who are praying and trying to stand upright in the midst of all of the sinfulness that is going on in this city called Sin City. So even in that particular situation, we could be praying for what we recognize as one of the most sinful cities besides Hollywood, 
or some of the other places that people would consider to be even more sinful. And so Abraham intercedes. And then he begins to negotiate. And Abraham drew near. Now he's already standing in his presence, but now he gets a little closer. (laughs) And he says, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now, I'm going to tell you, Abraham comes right out from the, he shoots straight from the hip. It's like, you are righteous, and the Bible has already said that Abraham believed, and it was accounted unto him as righteous. And so, because of Abraham's relationship with the righteous one, Abraham has been deemed as righteous, and I can see Abraham saying, wait a minute, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What about me? (laughs) I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters, if for no other reason or lesson that we can learn, we have to remember where we came from. Abraham lived in a wicked city, or he lived in a place that seems to imply that there's something going on that Abraham now has to leave. Because Father says, you need to leave your kinfolk, your country, and your father's house. Now, we know that there were idolatry, and his father, Terah, or yeah, Terah was an idol worshiper. So we know there was idolatry going on in Ur, and Father's telling him to leave. But when Abraham is standing before Jehovah, he's putting himself in the place of the Sodomites and the Gomorites. <laughs> it's like, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Are you saying that if I and my family, the ones you have covenant with, if we lived in Sodom, if we lived in Gomorrah, you would destroy us along with the people that you're going to destroy. Now, this is a little bit more graphic, but Abraham is putting himself, I believe, in the place of these individuals. And as a result, he's getting a better understanding of the most high than he has had before. Why? Because now he realizes that this is not a one-sided relationship, that he can negotiate, he can talk to him and hopefully get him to see his point of view. Abraham negotiated from 50 righteous to 10. Why he stopped at 10, I don't know. Paraventure, verse 24, there'll be 50 righteous within the city. Will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? Now remember, Abraham had over 300 trained men. He didn't start at 300. He's starting at 50. And it's like, man, if everybody with me lived there, but let's say there's 50 righteous in the city, will you also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? And Jehovah responded. Abraham presented the kind of argument that challenged Jehovah's own righteousness. And he prevailed at each negotiating point. That be far from you to do this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Just shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And I'll tell you something. What Abraham is also laying out is the future judgment. 
the judgment of the righteous and the wicked. And it's going to come down to the individual because every person will be judged according to their work. We won't be judged in groups. We won't be judged in denominations. We won't be judged in assemblies. We'll be judged as individuals. And Jehovah said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abram now realizes, okay, (laughs) maybe I should narrow this thing down some. And Abram answered and said, behold, now I've taken upon me to speak unto Jehovah, which I am but dust and ashes. And in his negotiation, Abraham always remembered his statute compared to the statue of the one he was communing with. This is a serious point here because Abram knows that he's dust and that he, the almighty is creator. But what he's acknowledging is that there's a greater and there's a lesser. And there's always, even though there is an equality among brethren, what separates is the calling and the authority that Father has relegated onto individuals. When you are a prophet of Jehovah, even though you are a person, you're not just a person in statue, you are a prophet or an apostle or an evangelist, or a pastor, or a teacher. And there are people who, from time to time, fail to realize who they're talking to. When people ask me what they should call me, and I tell them my name, some people have issue with that. That's people who have been taught to honor authority, even if it's just in word. And I can tell when people honor, and you can tell when people honor. If your child raised their voice at you, you know that that's not honorable tone. When people begin to raise their voice at you, they're not honoring you, or they just got some personal issues or demons that they're dealing with, you see. And so we must always remember, this is one of the reasons why I believe You know, it is written, thou should not receive an accusation against an elder, except it be for two or three witnesses. Father, whether men honor his call, his office, father does. And even the world have a tendency to honor the office, even though they may not honor the person who hold the office. It's like, really, you could treat the person disrespectful in a sense, but You honor the office, so you refrain from total disrespect. (laughs) And we, Abraham shows us, when it comes down to one who is greater, and even the Bible is going to refer to Abram the lesser and even Melchizedek the greater, but he presented tithe to Melchizedek. And so Father here reveals to us through this particular uh, verse, that Abraham realized who he was and who he was talking to when he says, which am but dust and ashes. 
Peradventure, verse 28, there shall lack five of the 50. So he's now walking back his numbers. Will thou also destroy the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy it. And he's spoken to him again and said, Peradventure, there shall be 40 found there. And he said, I will not do it for 40's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not Jehovah be angry. And I will speak, Peradventure, there shall 30 be found there. And he said, I will not do it for if I find 30. And he said again, Now behold, I have taken upon me to speak unto Jehovah. Peradventure, there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, oh, let not Jehovah be angry, and I will speak yet. But this once, peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. So you can see he's walked down from 50 to 10. And for whatever reason, he stops at this moment. Maybe he's thinking there's got to be at least 10 righteous people in that city. Maybe that's what he's thinking. He's giving them the benefit of the doubt, even though Father has already revealed to him what his plans are. Because he said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Meaning that he already know what he's about to do. Why Abraham stopped at 10 is a mystery, but at this point, Jehovah left Abraham. And here's the thing that I wanted to point out because I think it's worth taking note of. If there were righteous men in Sodom or Gomorrah, there were less than 10. And with that, I'm thinking that that's a sad state of affair. It's a sad state of affair when a city is depleted to the degree to where you got less than 10 people who are trying to live right. And it's unfortunate, the Bible tells us, that except those days ahead of us be shortened, that's an indictment against humanity. That except those days, it's like Father has to shorten the days in order for some people to be saved. I think among people today, because I'll tell you what I see as the last bastion or the last stronghold or the last thing that we have to hold on to is the righteousness of the instructions given by the righteous one. There was a point, and you need to see this for what it is. There was a point when at least the church, even though the church may have rejected the law, the church held on to the Ten Commandments. People argued over the Ten Commandments and them being put in public places. There's a judge that ran for office after he had kicked out a judgeship. I think that was in, what, Alabama or Georgia? One of the judges who wanted to have the Ten Commandments in the courthouse lawn or, or somewhere in a public place. Today, even the church have gotten to a point to where 
They're so adamant against the law, they're rejecting the Ten Commandments. We don't have to keep none of the laws. Not even the Ten Commandments. Hearing famous preachers say we don't even have to keep the Ten Commandments. You know, when you just reject the Ten Commandments, it's like, okay, what do you got? Faith is on a serious decline, not only here in America, but in the world. Marriage on a decline. People would rather cohabitate and fornicate than commit in a marriage relationship. People are having babies out of wedlocks and folks are complimenting them and, you know, encouraging them. And, and it's like, hey, and same-sex marriage, man with man and woman with woman and, and people are commending them for this behavior. And it's just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse, which is why I could see what Father would say, because I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. As people who are trying to hold on to the commandments of Jehovah in a society and among people who we love, who reject the commandments of Jehovah, how long do you think you're going to be able to keep this up? The pressure of children rejecting you, siblings rejecting you, parents rejecting you, society rejecting you. If it wasn't for the remnant of people who are trying to gather together and hold on and fight the good fight of faith, holding on to the instructions, the commandments of Jehovah, it is one of the only things that I see that is keeping people because people who even confess in Jesus and some now in Yeshua, they haven't the foggiest idea as I'm talking to people in Messiah, talking to people who talk about being Torah observant, but don't observe no Torah. It's like, what Torah do you observe? You don't believe in clean and unclean, except for what you eat. You can touch unclean things. Even back in the day where individuals claim to be Torah observant, but think it's okay to touch women who are nida because they're in love. And it's like, okay, father says, if, if this is happening, you don't touch them. You don't sit on this, the seats they sit on. You don't lie in the bed. Yeah, but hey, you know. And so you got so-called Torah observant people sleeping with each other during the monthly cycle. Well, we're not just, we're just not going to have sex. We agree we're not going to have sex. Well, wait a minute. You're not going to have sex, but you're sleeping in the same bed? Isn't that a violation of what Torah says? And you claim to be Torah observant? Stop lying. There's a lot of lying going on among Torah observant people. And when you begin to tell people what you do and they look at you like you're crazy, it's like, wait a minute. I thought that's what Torah observant people did. You Torah observant and you don't wear CCs? You Torah observant, but you don't assemble for the Sabbath? There's a lot of nonsense. And you got people who are claiming they're honoring Jehovah with their lips, but their actions, their hearts are far from him. And when you talk about, well, brother, you know, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord, but, but that's just not 
how we see Torah observant. Well, how do you see Torah observant? Does that only mean you keep the Sabbath and celebrate? You Maybe you keep the Sabbath at home, but then you're, you're asking questions like, mm, is it okay to go to my child's baseball game or football game on the Sabbath day? You, you Torah observant? Is it okay to go to a funeral on the Sabbath? You Torah observant? Really? You see, people, we really need to get a clue and stop saying things with our mouth that our feet are not walking out. Maybe we're not there yet. Maybe you want to honor the Sabbath and you want to take care of your family and your job is making you work. And it's like, okay, you're going to put up with this for a little while, but you're going to make your demands and all of this. And, and I get that. Whether I trust the Almighty, whether I, I trust in medicine or, or I trust in doctors or I put stuff in my arm or in my mouth, you know, because it was prescribed for me, even though I know what's in it is not stuff that I'm supposed to be taking or putting in my body. And yet claiming to be Torah observant. It's like, okay, if we were going to put a scale of Torah observancy, where about on the scale would you be? Because even in the Torah, there are babes, and we have to understand that. And we can't try to hold people to the same standard that we hold ourselves to. But at the same time, you know, what made Abraham unique is Abraham commanded. He put it out there, even though people may not have necessarily followed everything Abraham put out there, but he put it out there and he called, I would dare say Abraham was the kind of person, he would call a person out if they weren't. You're Torah observant. You're Torah observant. Do we really know what that means? And when we confess it, do we fully understand and embrace all that that means? And so because of Abram's relationship with the Almighty, the Almighty revealed things to Abraham about what he was about to do. And that's the kind of position that we want to be in to where Father does nothing except he first reveal it to us. He gave opportunity for Abraham to speak into what he was about to do. Isn't that nice? Isn't that wonderful? To where you get an opportunity, Father says, hey, I'm about to do this. And now you get an opportunity to converse with him to see if he would maybe alter his plan. But that takes compassion. That takes concern even for the wicked. Because you got to understand something. Abraham knew that there was more than 50 people in that city. There was more than 50 people in those cities. And yet, He's negotiating for the righteous, but it will save the wicked. And the wicked would hopefully have opportunity to repent if they knew what they had just been saved from. And so Jehovah went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. And a little while later, you're going to see Abraham see smoke. (laughs) Now, what's interesting, too, which is why Abraham could have been negotiating, is because his nephew lived in the region. His nephew and all of his people 
which suggests to me that Lot's family, Lot's herdsmen, because remember, Lot had a lot of herdsmen. Lot's daughter's husbands. Oh, we'll get there. Not even 10 people. Less than 10 people. If 10 people had been in that city, it wouldn't have burned. What is that going to say about Lot and his, his claim? We'll look at that in the weeks to come. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.